Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have a very special treat um, for you. And it's a treat for me because we actually have two authors on today. Um, One author you guys have already met if you've listened to the podcast in the past. And um, his name is Frank Zafiro. And so Frank, say hi. Uh, Hello again. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. And Frank brought along his co-authoring buddy, Colin, Colin Conway. So Colin, say hi to everyone for us. Hello, everyone. So listeners, what we're going to do is we're going to get to know Colin a little bit. We'll reintroduce you to Frank and um, kind of his background and and what kind of authorship that he's done. And then we're going to talk quite a bit about the journey of writing in co-authorship. Because Frank had mentioned in his podcast when he was with me before about co-authoring, and it really piqued my interest. And so we brought Colin on. And we're going to talk about their new book that's going to be coming out about the time of this podcast that it will be released um, on the 1st of June and their book will be coming out. Their second co-author book will be coming out June 10th. So it's a great segue to that. So why don't we start out, Colin? Um, why don't you tell us my general introductions for everybody is A, what state in the Pacific Northwest do you live in? And if you have a, so- uh, a real job, you know, what, you, what your background is, um, share that with us. Sure, sure. So I live in Washington State, uh, Eastern Washington to get a little bit more specific. And uh, my day gig uh, is in commercial real estate. I'm a commercial real estate broker. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Okay. And then how about you, Frank? Let's, let's uh, reintroduce you to the audience. Tell us, A, what state you live in, because I know it's not our state, I don't think, <laughs> Washington. And then um, I know you were, what your day job used to be. Kind of share with us what it is now. <laughs> Well, I, I actually uh, grew up and spent most of my life uh, in the same town as Colin oh. uh, in Spokane, Washington, but I live in central Oregon now, just outside of Bend in a little sleepy town called Redmond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm retired from law enforcement. I did uh, 20 years with the Spokane Police Department, and now I am a full-time writer, podcaster, and uh, h- hanger about. <laughs> so Frank has my ultimate dream job, as everybody knows, to be a full-time writer and podcaster. <laughs> so I'm working towards Pay is not as great as you think. <laughs> well, I can't imagine that it is. And you know what? Uh, the hours are good, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And everybody tells me, you don't do it for the pay, you do it for love, Vicki. And I'm like, okay, I'll remember that. <laughs> okay, so Frank, Colin, did you guys know each other um, before you started writing together when you were younger? Did you know each other in high school, or how did you meet? Well... We, uh, I'd like to tell people that we, we met, uh, while Frank was on the police department and he arrested me, <laughs> but not true, uh, but not true. No, I, I actually was story, on the police story. <laughs> story. Yeah. I should make one up to go with that. <laughs> we actually met, uh, uh, while I was also employed, uh, with the Spokane police department. Uh, I was an officer there for five years and, uh, we met through, uh, we were actually on a team together for a very short time while I was uh, uh, with a field training officer while I was a rookie and Frank was a corporal. Um, and, uh, but that was the time where you don't know which way is up or what I did not know which way was up. So I really didn't get to talk to Frank very much. And it wasn't until a few years later where we met um, he had uh, he was in a Sergeant position. I was in an administrative position and we uh, just started chatting and uh, I don't remember how we connected over writing, but we did. And that was the, the start of our writing friendship, which led into um, some collaborations. Uh, a lot of collaborations, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so listeners, when you go to, I'm going to put both Frank and um, Colin's website up for you on the show notes. When you go there, you're going to see quite a bit of collaboration. And, and that's why I thought it would, it would be so much fun to have both of you guys on because collaboration for me in a writing aspect is relatively new. I do a lot of collaboration with my work writing, you know, technical writing, you know, work kind of stuff, but not in a fictional writing sense. So I'm pretty excited to pick your brains about this. Um, 
I had another question. I forgot the, what that was about. Oh, well, uh, I will tell you there that to add to what Colin said, that I do remember how we started oh, talking good. about writing, okay. and and that was that we both worked in a uh, in a in an office building that was kind of just about a block away, less than a block away from the the public safety building, and we both had kind of office gigs, you know, desk gigs at the time. And I won't bore you with the details, but we were both pushing a desk instead of a cruiser. And uh, my, my good friend and Colin's good friend, Brad Halleck, uh, was like a mutual friend for us. We started going to lunch together and Colin and I just started talking about writing. And he was getting into writing really heavily. And I had been not writing uh, because of uh, going to school and learning new jobs on the job. Uh, hadn't really been writing hardly anything for about 10 years at that point. And uh, he got me fired up and, and, and writing again. And, and then uh, after that, it was, you know, we just didn't even tell Brad we were going to coffee because we wanted to talk about writing all the time. So. <laughs> oh, that's we're going to pull Brad the words out now. If you didn't know, they were telling you there a little bit. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Colin, thanks for inspiring Frank because um, – you know how things go. People, you don't ever know who's going to inspire. We're going to inspire. So thank you for inspiring him. Well, what's funny, it, it, and and I know that we have a series of questions, but Frank, Frank says that I inspired him early on, but it was Frank's inspiration later on that brought me back into writing because I had I, I've written quite a bit, and then I fell away from it um, due to some personal things, and also not having the the self-confidence to put my work out there uh, like Frank did. And so it was Frank's uh, encouragement and inspiration that got me to, to take those steps and, and get involved with writing and start putting my work out there. So it was kind of uh, a little bit of a cycle, Cir- if you will. Circle of life. Yeah, that's true. Like like that. And that's a great relationship when you have a relationship where one person is maybe um, needing a little bit of boost and the other person gives it to them and you don't realize it. And then when it's time for that person to get some boost and you can give it back to them. So bravo guys. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. So um, Colin, you might not know the circle around of how I met Frank, but um, I met Frank. I'm a completely budding writer. So I'm working on my very first novel and I started a podcast first because I'm crazy and um, <laughs> thought I would have all this time in the world to interview authors and still write this book. And my public, re- I had a, a PR gal that I was helping. Um, she was, a, she did um, classes in community college and she wanted to have a writer to have for her class for one term. And so I said, sure. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like, yeah. Well, she got me in on a newspaper, the Bin Review, and they featured Frank and I on the same newspaper article for our podcasts might have just came out like I maybe three or four episodes <laughs> and so I still didn't know what I was doing still don't know what I'm doing and so then later on I'm like I need to get this guy on that was on this um article with me on the podcast because we could talk about podcasts and we can talk about everything else and um so I met him that way and then we did a lot of talking about his writing journey and he did branch off calling a lot about how collaborative work how much collaborative work he's done Mm-hmm. So I'm rambling. Let's kind of focus no, great. for everybody else is listening as they drive down I-5 because most of my listeners are commuters. <laughs> and so, so Colin, share with us a little bit about, because we already had Frank on before, So, but I'll bring Frank back in here a little bit. But share us a little bit about um, kind of your writing journey because when I looked at your your website, it you have, a, a, I would say, a little eclectic genres. Um, and so start maybe with the very first book that you wrote and published and then we'll kind of go walk through there with your titles and your journey. Yeah, so it, it's interesting. So I, I, I wrote a, a little bit when I was younger and uh, when I was in the military and mostly short stories and put those into a drawer. Uh, Cause that was back when the days when you would actually write things on paper. And then um, when I was in college, I started writing short stories again, uh, uh, just putting them into a drawer, not doing anything. And it wasn't until after I got divorced that I started really just writing a bunch of short stories. And again, just putting them into, into, um, into a file. And I, I, wrote, um, a book, wrote, uh, put together some short stories and came out with them. Didn't really know what I was doing. Frank really had it dialed in. And I was, 
I was not prepared for it. Let me put it that way. Um, <laughs> Is so, anybody ever prepared for this kind of stuff? No, no, but I, I probably should have done a little bit more homework, but it yeah. probably should have been a little bit more prepared, but I pulled those, those titles back and went back to work. Unfortunately, what I did was I got involved with a writer's group mm. and, uh, and, and, and sometimes writers groups can be extremely beneficial for you. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was with a, a, a group that had a very, um, uh, accomplished writer mm-hmm. in the group. He, he was extremely helpful, but he was also a little bit, uh, damaging to um, my own self-esteem. A bit toxic, yeah. huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. But yeah. I, at the same time, I learned a ton, mm-hmm. but I also got to the point where I was very intimidated to do anything with my mm-hmm. work. Yeah. And, and this is where I, I started writing things and then tucking them away and then not, not writing at all. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I, 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 for probably two years, I didn't write at all until, and you mentioned it at the beginning here, this rock and roll book. Mm-hmm. I, was, mm-hmm. I was approached by a friend, um, Bill Bancroft, who said, Hey, I've got this story about, um, being in a rock and roll band during the seventies and eighties while I was in my, my late teens and my early twenties being on the road. And I don't know how to put it together. And I know that you've done some writing. You want to help me. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and it took about four years to put that book together. Oh, wow. um, he had, he had probably 20 micro cassettes where he had recorded them while he was uh, driving, uh, town to town for his mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. And I would, they were very nonlinear. Like mm-hmm. he would tell a story and, and that would take place in 1978 and said, Oh, that reminds me of a story that took place in, in 19, 1993, <laughs> which l- reminds me of a story that took place in 1985. Well, because and, he's a rock and roll person. So oh, yeah, yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And so I had to, I had to take these stories and I had to, to pull them all apart. And then I had to learn the groups and I had to learn, um, the timeline and where he was around the country because a lot of his touring took place in Spokane and Ogden, Utah. But then he also went on the road where he supported um, guys like Freddie Fender Mm -hmm. and they, they toured all over through like Texas and Oklahoma. And um, it was pretty, pretty interesting experience. And what happened during that um, period of four years, I started getting some confidence back Mm -hmm. and started coming up with new ideas for stories. And that's when I reconnected really with Frank, it was mm-hmm. start talking to him. And so it was great because I had that inspiration of seeing how well Frank's career had gone along. And I think Frank is up into the mid twenties now of yeah. how many titles he's done. And I mean, he's a very yeah. prolific writer Yes, he is. and, and thinking, good Lord, had I just maintained some confidence and maintained some, um, uh, momentum, I could have had a couple books done by this point in time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I started working with Frank, uh, and I, I recently came out with a, a book at the beginning of this year, um, called the side hustle, which is the first book in a series of stories, um, based around, uh, Eastern Washington. It's going to be the 509 crime story mm-hmm. series. Okay. Um, and so, um, additional titles will come out later this year. Um, why, why, why 509 Colin? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks Frank. Um, <laughs> Just jump in. Cause the, the name, the side hustle is my loving nickname for my everything podcast and writing. So when I, I mean, it's not, that's what we call it in the house. My husband's like, Oh, you got a podcast. You're going to do the side hustle. So everybody in my house, my family knows Vicky side hustle. So when I saw that title, I'm like, Oh man, he took one of my titles. I wanted for a future book, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead and share with us why it's a five hundred nine, correct? Well, so the five hundred nine, the five hundred nine crime stories. It takes place in Eastern Washington, mm-hmm. Eastern Washington. So uh, in Western Washington, there's five zip, excuse me, five area codes that cover that one third of the state because of how heavily populated it is. Mm-hmm. But only one area code covers two thirds of Washington State, mm-hmm. and the way that I've written my my stories, my novels, and a number of my, my short stories, I don't always focus on the same characters. They, oh. they take place in the Spokane police department and they'll have reoccurring characters that may be the lead in one story. And then they're a supporting character in the next, and they might just have a mention in the third, um, a lot, uh, like, uh, Ed McBain did, uh, mm-hmm. with his series. Um, and so I, I needed to come up with a way to, to, uh, group them all together. And mm-hmm. 509 uh, 
covered the entire <laughs> covered entire two thirds of the state. Yeah. So I have um, a uh, uh, sheriff down in Colfax. Uh, oh, I know where Colfax is. I think yeah. I got a ticket there once. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, right outside, right outside of. Uh, yeah. That's the guy. That's the guy. Call that Colin's talking about. Those the one that gave you the ticket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there's not there's not a lot in Colfax, if I remember right, and yeah, I don't think they post the sign out where I think no, it's like it, when you're coming out when you're coming out of Pullman, you can go Colfax. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. where I got the ticket. Yeah, because I went to go see yeah. in Pullman, and nobody warned me not to speed in Colfax. Yeah, they're, you're pretty much in your sneeze and you've driven through the town, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I met him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, so the 509, that's the the, the series uh, oh, cool. that's that's coming out. And um, there'll be several titles that'll be coming out later this year after the release of uh, a book that we'll talk about here in a little bit, Charlie 316. And these books have been written and sitting on a shelf for a couple of years. Oh, and wow. this is again, some of the encouragement of Frank to, to get going, get them out. Um, that's uh, finally happening for me. So a very exciting time. Oh, I love it. And I think that you touched on a couple of really important points. I think Frank and I talked about writers groups on our podcast when we did together. And I talk about writer groups often with almost every writer that comes on. I ask them similar questions and um, I didn't really uh, put together a lot of questions for our podcast together because I just wanted to share and talk with you guys. Um, and But the writer's group is such a valuable tool, but it can also be, like you mentioned, a very um, traumatizing situation if it's not the right fit for you. And um, I tell people all the time, you can fire your writer's group or you can leave. You can, you, it's fine to leave. It's okay <laughs> if you're not getting something out of it. But the, the having to build back up your confidence is so important that, that um, you found somebody else or other people to help you call. And that's, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I, I didn't realize that I could fire them. Oh, yeah. Know, because it, was, it, it really was a it started off as a great experience and then it became not so great. And then it was like, Oh, I'm afraid to do, to write. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, and, and it's, it's unfortunate. It was unfortunate. And um, yeah. So. But I'm a believer in seasons. And so I believe that this is the right season for you. So regardless of yes. shoulda, woulda, coulda, right. Exactly. Um, I had a very, very, very similar, well, sort of similar experience. I had been writing quietly to myself and to my family only knew that I had this dream of being a writer. And I had, in my work, I work full-time for a higher education institution and we do quite a bit of writing. Well, one of the aspects of writing that we do is performance writing for when we were supervisors, you know, if you had to write warnings and things like that. And um, I had a a group that I needed to do some disciplinary action, but I wasn't ready to write warnings yet because I wanted to work on some training. Well, my supervisor at the time actually um, lobbied that I was afraid to write. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a really great writer. I have no problem <laughs> writing if it's something I believe in, right? Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. we went round and round and round about it. And I, I actually shot my confidence down um, because uh, of just the scrutiny around the aspect of that particular kind of writing that I was required to do didn't really fit what I believed at the time of, for the actions and things. And so there was a moment where I almost was not going to write again. And um, because I'm like, man, maybe I, maybe I'm afraid to write. Maybe I suck. <laughs> and let all that self-talk kind of go in there and um, had to quickly get out of that really fast. So I identify with that very well. So, Frank and you reconnected and um, were these books sitting there? Did, how, did you self-publish? Um, kind of how did that process go for you as far as the publishing goes? Yeah, well, the, the 509 stories, I am going to self-publish those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh, what I want to do. And for some specific reasons, I want the control of them. Mm-hmm. And I've, there was an article that was written by Lawrence Block several years ago who said that if he was starting today, he would self-publish, which I've always remembered that. I read that article too. Yeah. It kind of stuck with me. And it was one of those ones where I was like, ah, gosh, why? When I see all these other authors who are, are doing, um, you know, selling their works and getting, um, 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 you know, publishing house backing. Mm -hmm. But Frank and I went to left coast crime and we had the opportunity to, to meet a variety of, of independent authors. And I sat with 
one author who gave me some of the best advice I've ever had. And it's really changed the way that I look at um, things. And that's why these books will be coming out through the remainder of the year after Mm -hmm. Charlie 316. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still will have things come out through down and out, but then I'll have this um, down and out books. That's our publisher for Charlie 316 and Uh series that's with that. But then I'll have this series of books that I'll, I will control myself. Yeah. Five one nine crime stories. Um, Can you share that advice column that was given to you? Because I'm in the process of, if you can share it, if not talk around it in a way that you are not sharing somebody else. It's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty, it gets pretty myopic and it gets pretty uh, myopic. I'm the right word. It gets into the weeds on marketing and that kind of thing. So the business of, of being an author, it gets into the business of being an author, which is one of those things where, I've always enjoyed just sitting behind the keyboard and writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's why I've written so many of these books and they just sit there. Whereas again, I look at Frank and I think Frank has been very good at the business side of it, which I think is kind of an interesting take on our personalities because of what I do with commercial real estate, I can get on the phone and and make phone calls, cold calls all day long and not Mm -hmm. have any problem doing it. But I try to do that with my own writing and I kind of turtle up. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's what this conversation was with this this uh, other author. And she went into the weeds uh, a little bit on it, gave me a lot of ideas. Gotcha. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so uh, it would be a very long conversation, something gotcha. I couldn't do right here. So, Well, we might just have to construct that conversation for another time. How's that, Colin? <laughs> that sounds good. Because <laughs> I'm always thinking about, hmm, more content for the podcast. Yeah. So let's wrap back around to Frank. So Frank, I know I, you and I've had this conversation about marketing and about, you know, for me, my marketing platform was going to start out with the podcast and um, kind of launched me into the whole business of author, the business of writing before my book's even out. Um, so Frank, how did you come alongside Colin in that sense? I mean, were you, you were already publishing and working on stuff together. So did you guys decide that you're going to work on a book together and then you're going to go from there and kind of teach them the ropes as you go? Or was there, was it that obvious or was it more organic? (laughs) Well, you know, it, it was much more of a partnership than it was a mentorship, uh, on, on, you know, on, on 96% of it. And then, you know, for the other 4%, we each kind of mentored the other on the 2% that we had more expertise in. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, about a year after we started writing short stories, uh, I started writing short stories again, after we kind of got to get, get to know each other there, uh, while we were both still on the job. Um, I, I had already written a couple of river city, uh, books and we started talking about writing a book together at that point so this was like 2004 2005 oh god and uh uh we decided to do that and to write it set in the river city universe in the universe of the characters that i had already created uh because i think i had a couple of the river city novels done and i think i'd had written or was writing and a spinoff uh, called Waste Deep that was, uh, you know, the same characters just 10 years later. And, um, you know, we talked about how to do that. And I, I honestly, I don't remember how we came up with this. Uh, maybe Colin does, but I, but what we came up with was this way for us both to, to, uh, uh, you know, write a book together was a, a what, what I've since called a dual first person narrative with alternating mm-hmm. chapters. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote one character, uh, a detective, John tower, a police detective. Um, and, uh, Colin wrote another character, uh, Virgil Kelly, who was a, uh, a mob enforcer for a mob, uh, California mob. Mm-hmm. And both men are, are looking to find the murderer of uh, a fawn, uh, who is the biological daughter of, of Virgil. And the, and the murder case is on the desk of, of Detective Tower. And of course, they're going to use different means uh, based uh-huh. on their skill sets and their resources. Uh, and so you've got these two parallel investigations with very different approaches happening, uh, you know, back and forth chapters, uh, crossover characters that they both run into in situations, they even see each other from a distance at times, uh, and eventually interact. And so awesome. we, were, we worked on that together. And um, it was a pretty hefty book. It was well over 100,000 words 
and and it went really well. I mean, I, I went surprisingly well, and and uh, we had a pretty loose outline uh, until we got pretty close to the end, and then we kind of tightened it up for the for the ending. And there's a scene at the end. There's a chapter near the end of the book that. Uh, you know, all the other chapters are are labeled by the you know the the name of the the, the narrator and and uh, you know the location and the time and everything. And this chapter is just called confrontation because it's a chapter that has both of us, uh, uh, both characters, uh, you know, back and forth within the chapter. Uh, and so we wrote that uh, after we kind of knew what was going to happen. We wrote that sitting at a at a coffee shop with a laptop and it was it was kind of like kind of like chess in the park almost because one of us would write their segment maybe a few lines maybe a few paragraphs whatever it took and then just turn the laptop around and push it to the other guy oh yeah and then we read what happened and said okay all right uh that's your move okay here's here's my move and we weren't trying to like you know, put each other in a corner or anything like that because nobody puts baby in a corner. Um, but, uh, <laughs> One of my favorite lines of all time. <laughs> but we were trying to, you know, get to the same location in a way that made sense for both characters. So we ended up finishing that book and it was a really good book, but uh, looking back at it now, uh, you know, it was a little bloated and, and, it, and it did have a few, a few, uh, a few amateurish things still going on there for both of us. Uh, and we couldn't get a, get a, an agent uh, to pick it up. And the only publishers were ended up, we weren't too sure we wanted to go with them. So it ended up going in that proverbial drawer that Colin that talked drawer, about. Yeah. So flash forward about 10 years, I would guess, uh, maybe a little less, eight years or so. And uh, I'd been self-publishing uh, a few of my titles for a couple of years at that point. And I just I reached out to Colin and I said, why don't we get this out there? And uh, he was a little reluctant at first, if I remember right, because I think he was still coming off of that uh, whole experience. Yeah that he described. Uh, but, uh, but then he jumped in and one of the things that we did is we went back through it. And of course, both of us were like, Oh, geez. <laughs> oh man. What were we and, and yeah. And I, I think he, if I remember it was like 112 or 119,000 words, something like oh, that. And we got it down into the seventies when we edited it. And so we cut out huge, huge swathes of, of, uh, of of words just everywhere uh and and i recall and really kind of drove that a little bit because he had this saying that uh we got to keep this this book on the freeway anything that that gets us on the op ramp uh that gets us on the off ramp you know uh yeah. and slows us down has to go and so you know it was a variation of the kill your darlings sort of approach yeah. and he was, he was right and so, like I said, we, we, we cut out at least 30,000 words uh, out of that, maybe, maybe even closer to 40. Uh, and, and so we self-published that. And so then flash forward a few more years, another five years or so, and uh, Colin comes back around to where he, he's getting back into writing again. And he uh, had written a couple of his books. And one of the things we do for each other is, is you know, send each other our books and we go through and basically mm -hmm. serve as an editor for the That's other awesome. person. Uh, because we have a good relationship, I can tell him this part sucks, you should cut it. And I don't have to yeah. spend another two paragraphs <laughs> saying it in a way that doesn't hurt his feelings because he knows I'm not being a jerk. I just yeah, don't want to yeah. spend two paragraphs telling him he needs to cut this because yeah. it's you know, it's getting, plus we have a shorthand where I can tell him this takes you off the freeway, cut it. And he I knows gotcha. exactly what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he, we've been doing that. And anyway, he came, he approached me and said, Hey, I've got this really cool story uh, that I want to do. And here's what it is. And I want to do, I want to do this and I want to flip the script and I want to pay an mm -hmm. homage to this. And I said, that sounds awesome. And he says, well, I want to work on it with you because uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, a, a detailed procedural and I you know, he really wanted to draw in my uh, experience in, in police command and, mm -hmm. and longer mm -hmm. police career. Uh, and so I, you know, it was a great story. So I, I was like, yeah, you know, that's not, yeah, you, you, you want me to come to dinner and you're, you're, you're yes. supplying the dinner. You better believe I'm there. Uh, and so we got to work <laughs> on it. to write together. That's even more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I knew, I knew we could do it because yeah. yeah. we'd done it before and we'd done it before under a couple of different sets of circumstances. So I knew it wasn't a one trick pony either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, 
you know, I, I, I'd gotten better at it because I'd worked with other, with other authors. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the approach we took for Charlie 316 was, a, you know, a multiple third point, limited third, um, you know, viewpoint with like eight, you know, eight point of view characters or so. Oh my know. goodness. How do you keep yeah. it straight? Do you guys have a shared timeline? Like, uh, okay, wait, I got so many questions. So I got to go back before the very first, the very first book. Did you, you said you had a loose outline and then, um, Colin, would you write just your, your point of view for your character? And then Frank, you wrote your point of view and then you brought them together or were you writing them simultaneously on the, from the outline perspective, like say chapter one, you knew chapter one was going to be going to this point. Then you would like write chapter one, each of the perspectives and then bring that together. Or did you write each of their, pers- their whole story basically and then merge it together? Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. We would always write uh, the chapter uh, in sequential order. Gotcha. So I would write mine and then I would give it to Frank and then he would be able to see what, uh, for some degree of murder, what Virgil Kelly did. That was the character that I wrote. Um, mm-hmm. And then he would check the outline that was loose. I mean, it was really loose for mm-hmm. some degree of murder. And then he would be able to respond appropriately. Got and, uh, as opposed to what we did with Charlie 316, where it was um, almost completely tightened down mm-hmm. uh, with the outline. There was hardly any wiggle room mm-hmm. um, in that outline. We knew um, almost um, perfectly how the story was going to end. Uh, we ran into a couple of things that we said, oh, we should probably tweak this or tweak that. Um, so it wasn't 100%. Um, tightened um, mm-hmm. but i would say we were probably about 90 95 tightened down on that outline and it, which made for an absolutely beautiful writing process there was okay. no um hesitation when you got your chapter and you read or i read what frank had written it was exactly what was supposed to have occurred in that chapter mm-hmm. he had just put all the 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 meat on the bones, so to speak. I got you. Uh, and then you could see it and go, Oh my God, that was really beautiful. How that came out. Now it's my turn. And I'd flip it back to him. And- so you almost were also building the inspiration off of each other because you're reading the, a little bit of the work before you start writing the next section of that chapter from what maybe Frank had written, you read that and then you write, is that how it went Colin? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so it, it, it's really kind of a cool process, especially what we've done with these last um, Charlie 316 books. We're, we're finalizing the third one in this series right now. Um, the I'll write a chapter. I give it to Frank. Frank reviews my chapter and writes his. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he sends it to me. Now I go back and I see what he's done to uh, review. Then I review his chapter mm-hmm. and then I write my, my latest chapter and I give it back to him. And then, so what you've got is you, you start getting this, um, uh, as your story grows, you end up with kind of this snake of edits that run through your, your mm-hmm. story and you keep correcting it and tightening it down. And Frank has often said that with this new process that we've got, um, by the time we end up finishing the story, it's almost like we're to a second draft. Mm-hmm. It sounds like. Yeah. how tight the story is because we've been reviewing the chapters as we go along two to three times before yeah. <laughs> we ever get to that, to the end of the, the, the first draft. So do you guys, so are you doing this all in email back and forth to each other? Is that how you do it? Did you guys create deadlines? And here's my other question. Third question on that. <laughs> um, do you keep running notes? So is it like track changes or something like that? So mm-hmm. then you guys kind of know why you were going to change it after you read, you know, where you might've gone or is your outline so tight that you don't have to keep running notes for each other? So the first question was, do we use email? Yes. Right. And the answer is yes. Although we text each other as well. Um, usually we'll notify the other person via text that, 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 that they're, it's back to them when we volley back to the other person. Uh, because sometimes uh, you got a short chapter to do and that's all. And and I don't know, I appreciate it because I want to dive right in and read what Colin said about my last chapter and see what he did with his new chapter and, and see how he responded to my notes uh, to the, to the previous chapter to that. And so it's, it's, you know, it's like opening a, 
Christmas present as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we do, uh, what was the second question? Do we use track changes? Uh, yeah. Do you have some sort of system for your notes? Yeah. For yeah. Together? And yeah, I we, just we, use track we, changes. As no, we do. We use track changes and we make comments, uh, quite a lot of comments. Um, and, and then we also, uh, Every time we send it back to him, we send it back as a different version. So, you know, whoever writes chapter one has draft 1.0 and then the next guy gets draft, you know, sends back draft 1.01. And that way, uh, you know, as we resolve comments or corrections or issues or discussions, uh, we'll delete them out of the existing draft. But because we've been numbering them, uh, if we ever needed to go back and review, well, God, you know, we're in book four and we had the conversation about this problem in book two. What was it? Mm -hmm. You know, we can go back and find it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a, a big, a big piece of it too. And then deadlines, uh, I think we have self-imposed deadlines mm-hmm. that basically go like, I, I want to get this back to Colin as quickly as I can and still do a good job. Like on this last one, the third one that we're uh, that's in uh, second draft stage right now, um, we were volleying that back real fast a couple of times even word he'll go back and forth four times on a weekend or something with uh-huh. multiple chapters for each guy and and it came back to me like on a sunday night one night and i was like wow i really want to dive into this but i got three chapters to write and i'm beat and i don't yeah. want to do a crappy job yeah. so my deadline is as soon as i can get it to him and do an a plus job and i suspect he has a similar deadline yeah yeah so but you guys didn't like say okay we're gonna have chapter one out by this time it's just more organic between the two of you there's no need for deadlines man you talked about the excitement uh, of working together and stuff that's it's a it's a supercharged excitement it's it's like that time that you go to coffee with another you know, author and you get all jazzed up talking yep. about your, your work and yep. she's talking about her work and, and you're all encouraged and you want to go home and write 10,000 words and everything. And I mean, it's, it's like that every day or two. So the deadline ends up being uh, pretty, pretty unnecessary. Well, and I think that there's also that level of responsibility to the other person. Yeah. The accountability aspect. Scotty. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> I don't feel that sometimes when I'm writing for myself, if I want to stop in the middle of a chapter and I, I think, yeah, I've had it for today. I'm not feeling it. I can get up and walk away. I can, but when I know that Frank is waiting for me to get this, this chapter back, you know, I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, I've, I've got to do this. I got to get this done. Um, and I'll stay motivated and, you know, part of that's the friendship part of it's, I think who we are as individuals. Um, and it's like, I, I, I don't want to let him down. So I've got to get this, I got to get this done and get it back to him. And, and like you said, it's not like, well, I'm going to stay up and grind myself past midnight and do a terrible job, but it is, I'm not going to work on something else first. I'm not going to write a different project. I'm not going to, you know, goof around and watch TV. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a priority and this is going to, this is going to go to the top of the list. So, Well, you guys just described an amazing partnership in collaborative writing that I didn't really know existed out there. I, I, I'm probably, I'm sure I've read books where people collaborated, but it, it never dawned on me until Frank came on the show earlier and talked about his partnership with you, Colin, and with other authors, how beautiful that process can be. And I got excited. I'm like, oh, there's a whole new future out there besides just writing on my own. Because sometimes people don't realize how much isolating it can be to be an author um mm-hmm. are in your head a lot by yourself and you're with your characters mind you but you're by yourself <laughs> right. and so i love this partnership you're talking about and how you share back and forth and energize each other colin here's my question about the book now so listeners we're talking about charlie 316 for with colin and, and frank that will be out um in june so and it's a series that you guys have worked on and colin it was your conceptual idea to start with since you've been writing with Frank, did the story start turning? Did it take a whole different change than where you had anticipated at the very beginning? Or did Not, it stay pretty solid? It, it stayed pretty solid. The overall concept, and, and I don't want to give too much away. But oh, no, don't, op- because we want everybody to buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's about an, off- it's, it's an officer-involved shooting uh, that, that starts the story off. And mm. it's about how the, the, the police department in the city reacts to that. Mm. And... Mm. 
So I'm just going to leave it right there. Yeah. However, yeah. when I started talking to Frank and I started describing elements of the story, that's when the collaborative process really began. Mm-hmm. And, and Frank said, oh, what if we did this with that character? What if we did this with the other character? And all of a sudden I was like, oh man, that's, that's beautiful. Let's do that. Let's do that. I love it. And, and so while the overall concept is the same, uh, the, the way that it was executed is very different than how I saw it in my head, but it's a much better product than I could have ever dreamed. I love that. The evolution of a story is so fun for an author when you're working with people that believe in you as a writer and also fall in love with your characters and stories. It's something I'm experiencing for the first time in my writer's group because I have a very healthy writer's group. My first writer's group that I was ever invited to and I'm sharing with them chapters as I'm rewriting for probably the 10th time this first book's chapters, (laughs) but people are seeing it and they're all authors, several published authors, very good. And all of a sudden my characters are kind of, they're changing a little bit by input that they're giving to me, you know, like simple things that I would have never thought of. And they're evolving, helping me evolve my characters to be more realistic and believable and the plot lines to be more believable. So, so I love that. How, how exciting. So here's one question that I've been thinking for the both of you. Um, And it's just kind of a real random question. So I'm going to throw you off a little bit, but I like to do that. So why in Washington state is there so many crime fiction writers and so much crime? It seems like, uh, am I, am I off there or is Pacific Northwest heavy on crime, crime fiction and real crime authors and books (laughs) (laughs) from your observation? I, yeah, I don't think it is on the crime fiction side necessarily. I just, I think you notice it because you live in the, in there. So you, you find out a writers from Washington, it resonates with you. If they're from Virginia or New York gotcha. or Texas, it just kind of goes, or well, there's some, so they're from somewhere. I don't, you know, it doesn't, but you, you know, no, this one's from Washington. And then I think, didn't Ann Rule uh, live in what? Seattle or something? Yeah, she was. And when you have, you know, when you have the Daniel Steele of true crime, um, yep. you know, I mean, it kind of, it's kind of an unfair, <laughs> you know, it kind of, kind of, you know, the, the, the ledger kind of gets a little heavy on that side of things. Yeah, yeah. I just thought maybe it's because we do have some very cloudy gray weather <laughs> a lot of the time. I don't know, but it's interesting. So um, share with us what you can, Colin and Frank, about this series. I know you kind of, Colin, went into a little bit about it, but give us a little bit of you know the timeline for this book. I already mentioned when it's going to come out. Um, and then Talk us through a little bit about what readers can expect through the series. Um, let's get everybody excited to, as soon as it lands, they go run out and grab the book from you guys because they heard it about it on the podcast. <laughs> Frank, you want to take that one? Uh, I can start. Um, I, I'll tell you that, that we've sent it to other writers for, for blurbs, which are basically just, you know, friendly reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the... Uh, Several of them who don't know each other and didn't know the other person was reading the book have said that uh, if you if you liked The Force by Don Winslow, you'll like this book, oh. uh, which is a pretty good comparison. And I, and I think it's fairly accurate. The only real the bigger the biggest difference is probably it's you know it's it's a mid sized city on the west coast, not New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, officer involved shootings or they 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 get a lot of press coverage. Um, and if they, if there's a racial component involved or if there's a questionable or even slightly off sort of fact about it or, or situation, uh, or if it's just out and out looks horrible, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it gets even more press and, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Colin's idea, as I understood it, when we, when we were getting off the ground with this was, Hey, I want to explore this, but I want to do it in a way that isn't going to immediately make everybody go straight to their, their entrenched positions. Mm-hmm. Now I'm paraphrasing. This wasn't, these weren't his words, but it was the idea mm-hmm. that I got, that I got from him. Cause I mean, if I came to you and I said, Vicki, what is your, 
you know, let's talk about gun control. Let's mm-hmm. talk about abortion. Let's mm-hmm. talk about, you know, uh, you're going to automatically whatever. go to your political. It's state. a, it's a yeah, hot button hot, hot, issue. Hot, hot, hot. People. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got their ready-made defenses yep. arguments and yep. all they're doing is waiting for you to quit talking so they can tell you exactly. how they're, they're right. And then it gets and, ugly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and really, I, I unfortunately, I mean, I, you know, in addition to to the 20 years I, I did in law enforcement as a, as a police officer, I spent another four years traveling around the U.S. and Canada teaching uh, police leadership to a lot of different agencies. And so uh, drawing on that experience as well, I can tell you that much the same thing happens when, when there's an officer-involved shooting um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, and so, you know, Colin's idea to kind of flip the script a little bit Mm-hmm. Um, and and make the the model officer who gets involved in the shooting um, a a black man and the mm-hmm. victim, if you will, the suspect, if you look at it differently, mm-hmm. the the, uh, the civilian, if you want to be a little more neutral, uh, a white man. Uh, now, given the demographics of Spokane, it would be unrealistic to do it any other way. Yeah, yeah. But it, but what it does is because because now you've 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 changed the narrative a little bit, or you've confused the narrative, and you've allowed for other people to to talk about what's happened in a way that they never would. Mm-hmm. Um, it might it might make somebody who's reading it who has an opinion about what's going on in America in the last fifteen years in this sort of realm might make them tap the brakes just a little, just enough to actually let an original thought slip in. Hmm. Um, now, of course, all of this is secondary. Uh, we, we didn't sit down to, to try to do this, uh, mm-hmm. as our primary objective. The primary objective is to tell a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the theme of race and, and the theme of what happens when there's an officer involved shooting, uh, was definitely on our mind. And, and maybe Colin can share, uh, you know, some of the the different groups and types of people that we wanted to make sure as characters uh, within the book had had their particular voice, their particular perspective um, uh, shared uh, because that's what we try to do is to mm-hmm. come at it from all these different ways. And, and I don't think we forgot any major, you know, group, but uh, maybe you could touch on that, Colin. Yeah, Colin. Yeah. Do. So the, the title of the book, Charlie 316, is the um, the officer's call sign, and that was actually my call sign uh, when I was on the police department. Uh, and there was officers before me. There's officers after me who have that call sign. And it's a power shift call sign, but it always stuck with me that it had a very familiar ring to it. Charlie three sixteen. We all like the way that Charlie sounds. It's kind of a friendly sounding name, but 316 has that John 316, the uh, um, Bible verse about God so loving um, the world that he gave his only begotten son to die for their sins. Well, that was, that was the, the germ for the story was what happened if the city uh, and the police department gave up their, their, uh, their model son to die for their sins. Uh, so that's, that's where this story started was what would happen if there's this, this super cop for, uh, uh, lack of better term, who is in an officer involved shooting. Uh, and, uh, there's the backdrop that there's a, another shooting across the nation that is not, uh, very kosher and, uh, um, the city doesn't know how to handle it. And, uh, the department doesn't respond very well initially and things start, not looking very well for this officer. And then this officer has to, uh, start standing up for himself and this, it all starts to, to swirl. Uh, and, um, the reader has to figure out what's going on, not only with the, the officer himself, but within the department, within city hall, um, cause everybody's looking to protect number one themselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, uh, and so, like Frank said, it's it, we're trying to take it from not only line level officer, the officer who's involved in the shooting, but um, officers who uh, arrived second to the scene, officer or uh, um, the chief of police, the um, detectives who are investigating it, and then the city hall with the chief of staff and the mayor. Mm. And, uh, mm. So, yeah. 
and, and the impact and the impact of the media. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I can't forget too. that uh, big player, right? <laughs> and, and the agenda that there might be there. So awesome. Well, I think it's a very exciting work besides the fact that I love how you guys did the collaboration and then you got to bring in, you know, some great expertise. And so I'm really looking forward for myself to get it. So I'll definitely be getting it and reading it. So listeners, we're going to have a very um, great uh, treat as well. We're going to have um, Frank introduce Colin for the reading part of this so you guys can hear a little bit from the book. So Frank, you're on. Uh, great. Well, uh, Colin's going to read the uh, first chapter uh, of Charlie 316. I think you'll see that it starts uh, pretty exciting. And um, that is really uh, the pace of the book for much of the book. This is a pretty fast moving book with only a few a uh, few breaks, uh, a few times we slow down to take a look at things, a little deeper dive, but it's a very fast moving book. And, and the first chapter is very representative of that, representative of that. Uh, so by way of setup, as Colin mentioned, Charlie 316 is a call sign uh, for Tyler Garrett, who is the model officer we mentioned before. And he is, uh, well, this story starts the way all good police stories start. Uh, there I was on routine patrol when all of a sudden, Uh, So you're going to get the all of a sudden here uh, from Colin. Tyler Garrett slid behind the wheel of the patrol car and shut off his overhead lights. Ahead of him, the car he'd stopped a few minutes ago pulled tentatively back into the roadway and headed on its way. The driver had been a grocery clerk, just off shift, and she drifted through a stop sign on her way home. Garrett had given her a friendly warning. He didn't write tickets to working people. Garrett reached for the microphone and depressed the button. Charlie 316, I'm clear. 316, copy, came the dispatcher's reply. He put the car into gear and drove with the air conditioner cranked and the windows down. It was a habit he developed over the years to better connect with his environment. He wanted to be able to feel, hear, and smell the neighborhoods as he drifted through them, looking for crime. Garrett smiled as an image of Marvel's Luke Cage popped into his mind. Yeah, I'm Power Man, he muttered to himself. A regular crime-fighting machine. He guided his patrol car through East Central Spokane, a neighborhood just south of Interstate 90. It was an eclectic mixture of black and white with a growing Russian population. Spokane was a predominantly pale city, but East Central bucked the trend. Almost everyone he knew either grew up or had connections to that neighborhood. Even though he no longer lived in that part of the city, it was a personal mission to keep watch on this neighborhood. DJ Khalid's I'm the One softly played while he drove. Garrett whispered the words and bobbed his head, his eyes scanning for any illegal activity. With a light ding, a call for service popped up on the mobile data computer to his right. A quick glance told him it was a noise complaint between two neighbors on the South Hill, Spokane's wealthiest part of town. Garrett shook his head. He planned to take a break in a few minutes to stretch his legs. He didn't want to listen to some Richie Rich complaining. Let someone else take it, he thought. He hooked his finger over the top of the ballistic vest that was underneath his uniform and tugged it down. While he sat in the car, the vest had a habit of riding up until it touched his throat. Most of the time, it didn't bother him much. However, on a hot August night, the the vest was a nagging irritant that threatened to put him in a foul mood. It was shortly after midnight and vehicle traffic had thinned out in the neighborhoods. A white male rode a BMX bike across the street in front of him, a TV balanced precariously on the handlebars. He considered stopping him, but knew it almost certainly meant some sort of paperwork. If the guy didn't have an arrest warrant, then either the TV or the bike was stolen. Or both. Garrett grinned. If he had a nickel for every scraggly white guy riding a BMX while carrying a TV in Spokane, a Chrysler 300 lurched out onto Thor Street from 9th, cutting him off. Garrett tapped his brakes to slow his car. It was the second time Garrett had seen the car tonight. It was hard to mistake it with the front-end damage and the spare tire running on the front left. The Chrysler immediately turned west onto 8th without signaling, cutting off a newer pickup truck headed in the opposite direction. The Chrysler accelerated, its engine roaring in the quiet of the night. Garrett turned in front of the now-stopped truck and caught the eye of the BMX rider. Both the driver and the cyclist were watching, so Garrett accelerated to catch up with the Chrysler, which was doing its best to avoid him. The engine of his patrol car whined as he gained ground for several blocks. Garrett grabbed his microphone and keyed it. Charlie 316, a traffic stop. 
316, a radio dispatcher responded. Go ahead. A white Chrysler 300 at Green and 8th, Garrett said, before he phonetically read the letters of the license plate. Code 4. Green and 8th, code 4, the dispatcher repeated, verifying his instruction that a backup officer was not needed. Garrett activated his emergency lights, and for a moment, the Chrysler accelerated before it breaks its brake lights flashed on and off several times as the driver tapped his brakes. The Chrysler continued the length of the block, his speed consistent. He'd seen this many times before. The guy was deciding whether to run. Don't do it, Garrett muttered. Just pull over. The car turned right when the street ran into Underhill Park. Garrett keyed his mic. Charlie 316, he's still rolling. We're at the park. Copy 16, Charlie 312 to back. Officer Ray Zielinski's gravelly voice immediately responded to the request for backup. 12, copy. The Chrysler suddenly pulled over and stopped on the right side of the street. The park was on the opposite side, and an older home with a for sale sign stood on the right. Garrett immediately parked his car behind the Chrysler and hopped out, watching for signs that the driver might run into the park where he had played as a child. He keyed his shoulder mic at the same time. 16 were stopped, still code 4. Copy 16, Charlie 312, disregard. Zelensky keyed his mic in response. The driver exited the car and turned to face Garrett, a tall, skinny white man. He wore only knee-length shorts and tennis shoes. A single, thick, gold chain hung around his neck. Highlighted in blue and red by the splashing rotator lights of Garrett's patrol car were various tattoos that covered his body. What's your problem, man? The driver yelled. Get back in your car, Garrett ordered him. The driver waved his hands around as he yelled. You think you can do anything? The mighty 5-0? I ain't afraid of you. You can't do nothing to me. Why keep pretending? Ty dropped his hand onto his Glock and repeated, Get back in your car. Now. I'm not taking this anymore, the driver yelled, and reached behind his back. Garrett unsnapped his holster and freed his Glock. A shot rang out, and the window in his driver's door exploded. Garrett's mind froze for a split second. He hadn't seen the driver fire, but instinctively he pointed his gun at him. A second and third shot rang out. He snapped his head to the right in the direction of the shots. They were coming from the vacant house. Ambush. The realization hit him hard. A surge of adrenaline seemed to explode through him. He dropped behind the driver's door and took a deep breath to steady himself. Training kicked in as his mind immediately switched into tactical mode. Two points of fire, he thought quickly. The car in the house. They had him triangulated. Garrett's mind raced and came to one immediate decision. Eliminate one threat now. More shots cut through the night as rounds thudded into the patrol car. Glass exploded and rained down around him. Remaining crouched, Garrett quickly scooted out from behind the door and fired two shots at the driver. At least one round found the target as the driver collapsed to the street. Ty moved to the back of the car and arose slightly above the trunk section. He fired three quick shots into the house before dropping below the cover of the car. Without hesitation, he moved toward the hood of the car. As he shuffled along in a crouch, he changed magazines, keeping his weapon fully loaded just as he'd been trained. At the front tire, he raced back into view, prepared to fire. Garrett realized no more shots were being fired from the house, and the eerie silence had descended upon the neighborhood. He became keenly aware of the worrying of his emergency lights above him when he heard a screen door slam in the distance. Then it slammed a second time. Garrett stood and sprinted toward the house, seeing a six-foot fence that bordered both sides of the house as he ran. He knew not to scale it and come face-to-face -face with a potential shooter. Instead, he leapt onto the porch in a single step. He steadied himself and kicked the door. It opened with a splintery explosion at the handle. From behind the house, an engine revved loudly. Garrett raised his weapon and hurried through each room, prepared to find a shooter waiting for him in the dark. With each step, he was convinced there'd be a flash of light and the bite of lead. Sweat poured down his forehead and into his eyes. He wiped it away with his left hand and kept his gun trained on the threat areas as he moved through the small house. His radio crackled, but he ignored it. No one waited in any room, and there was no furniture to hide behind. The house was completely vacant. When he got to the rear of the house, the back door stood open. He burst through the screen door, which slammed shut behind him. At the edge of the yard, the fence gate was open, and he could hear a car racing down the alley. Garrett sprinted across the grass and into the alley. He could see the red of taillights at the far end of the block. He raised his Glock, and his finger tensed, but he didn't fire. He didn't know what else was at the end of the block, and he knew better than to send a round into an environment like that. Ty Garrett lowered his weapon and felt his heart pounding against his chest. He was suddenly aware that he was drenched in sweat. His ballistic vest felt like it weighed a ton. The lights from his patrol car danced in the sky above the house, but didn't reach the alley. He stood in the quiet of the alley's darkness, wondering what in the hell had just happened.
Oh my goodness. Colin Conway and Frank Zafiro, thank you so much. What an amazing story and the way it's set up. You can't help but want to continue to find out how this plays out. So, so thank you, gentlemen, for being here. The book is Charlie 316. Um, so, Frank, I, I think I might have said this to you last time, but thank you for your years of service on the force. I, I do want to extend that and tell you I appreciate that. Colin, also you as well. And I do believe, Colin, I read that you were a military service as well. So thank you for that. I really do respect those that are in the service and, and serve for our country. So thank you so much. Thank you. Frank, Frank did as well. Frank was yeah, Frank. Uh, army as well. Yes. I, I think I remember that. Sorry, Frank. I didn't want to miss that. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. I don't apologize for yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love it because I do think it brings a really great perspective to writing that um, we might not see it all the time in mainstream. So, so I really appreciate you guys doing this, this book in particular. I think it's very timely. So Frank and Colin, thanks for being here and we'll bring you back for the other two books. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.